Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together tonight. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for a people and a country and, and families that uh, some of which we know, many of which we'd, uh, we'll get to know in the years to come, and some of which uh, we won't know this side of glory. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, believing families in Kazakhstan. Lord, we pray for a, uh, just a uh, spirit-provided encouragement to press on and be salty and bright and aromatic. Uh, Lord, we pray for some of those young people that are members of a family that are the only believing members and who have been uh, really kind of dismissed from their family before their faith. Lord, we pray for resolve. Uh, we pray for just a confidence that our Christ is worth that. Uh, Lord, tonight we pray for Kazakh children, and uh, we thank you for the two little treasures that we have in our body, and Millie and Ion, and uh, we just pray that they'll be walking reminders of um, little lost, uh, lostness on the other side of the world, and little kids that are growing up in Muslim homes, and uh, that we will just have a burden for them. Lord, we pray, as we pray for them, we pray to just bring them just ask if we can bring them before you and that you'll draw your, your number. And we confess, we hope for large numbers, but your number of little ones into your uh, people. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, whatever plans that you have for Jake and Stephanie and the teams that we send over there and the missionaries that are on the field right now, that they'll be used for your glory. And Lord, that even people in this body that have not, even bit out of the state, much less the country, that they can, uh, that you'll use them and wreck them, mobilize them, and take them to the far corners with a great gospel, and that you'll use that for your glory. Lord, tonight we uh, just pray that you'll open up the scriptures to us, that we will uh, climb into a, a chapter that, that opens our eyes and uh, equips us for worship and wonder, that uh, shows us how to, to operate as husband and wife even tonight. And um, that we'll bring glory to you in the way that we engage this passage, this chapter tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 16. Actually, turn to Psalm 42 first. We have a little bit shorter study tonight that I think we may actually finish a little bit earlier. So I just wanted to share a couple thoughts from Psalm 42 before we actually climb in. Psalm 42 is in your shepherd's guide today. If you've been reading, if you've been working through your shepherd's guide as a family, you know there's been a few passages that are real centered on God being enjoyed, not for what he does for you, but for who he is. And that was kind of the, if someone were to ask what the summary of Sunday's message was, that's what it would be, that that's worship. And if you only come him come to him for things and stuff, then I don't really know what that is, that he is to be enjoyed and uh, he is to be savored. And the passage that we read this morning as a family in Psalm 42 was a really neat picture of that. It's uh, a psalm of uh, the sons of Korah, and the little title in my uh, Bible is, Why Are You Cast Down, O My Soul? And that does kind of capture the tone of it. Uh, but listen how it begins. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
we talked about it this morning with the with the kids, and um, we just thought about deer and how, you know, if a deer needs water, then they're going to do whatever they have to do to get to water. And a deer is, it's not smarts; it's just the way God's wired them. If they're thirsty, they're not going to go eat dirt or salt or a cheeseburger. You know, they wouldn't have access to that. But even if they did, they would. If they were thirsty, they're going to go to one thing, and only one thing is going to satisfy. And if the deer is a picture of our soul, then what's the picture of God in this passage? What is it? What kind of water? What kind? What does it say? What does it say right here? Flowing streams. What are the versions? What do you have in other versions? Yours says living? Yeah. Who else has something else in their Bible? Does everybody say flowing streams? I think flowing streams is a really neat picture that I never have really connected to. You know that any of you ever seen stagnant water that's just standing still? You know, if, if you're a smart, if you're ever in the wild and you're separated from civilization and you need water and you have to drink water that's just out there and you have a choice between stagnant water and flowing water, I encourage you to pick the flowing water. Uh, because stagnant water, if an animal dies in it or a fish dies or something, uh, bacteria just thrives and flourishes in stagnant water. But flowing streams are different. You have new water that's passing you by every single minute. As you stand on the side of a stream, there's new water, fresh water the whole time. And that's a pretty cool picture of God. If the deer is a picture of our soul, then God is a picture of this flowing stream that we have access to all day long, and it's completely fresh and completely new. And we can't live on stagnant water that we drank a month ago. You can't live on some experience of God that you had a long time ago. You need fresh water, and you need it today. And the beauty is that him being flowing streams, you got it. All you got to do is get down on your knees and get to it. And it was something that was really encouraging for us as a family, is realizing that coming to him for stuff, vice coming to him because of who he is, that it really delivers like flowing streams. And there's this, you know, flowing stream, there's just this water, it just keeps on coming, keeps on coming. You don't see an end to it, and it's just keeping on coming, and that's the sort of God that we have. And if we're coming to him for who he is, certainly we should come for him, come to him for our needs. I think that's appropriate, just like a husband would come to a wife or a wife would come to a husband. You know, I need a checkbook. You know, I need you to help me with the, the toilet stopped up you know whatever I mean that's a weird image but you know you come into each other for needs that you have over the course of the day but hopefully your relationship hopefully that's not foundational (laughs) relationship that there's much more relationship there that I'm enjoying you for who you are and oh by the way can you help me with the the toilet you know that's that should be the tone of it so um just that thought from this morning okay let's turn to Genesis chapter 16 I'm going to read the chapter as a whole, and then we'll come back and, lo- and uh, low crawl through it. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. 
And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram for for her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that, that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you, Abram. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. This is Hagar. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lehi Roi. Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called, his, called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. A couple of just kind of bird's-eye introduction points before we really climb in. Up to now, this story with Abram and Sarah, Sarah has been about the land. There's been a real emphasis on the land. Now, the, when the, the promise was given, it was land and seed, land and stars, land and sand, land and lots, multitudes of offspring. But at least in the last few chapters, there's really been an emphasis on land. But now at the beginning of chapter 16, now, it's trans, now the story's kind of uh, morphing over to, being, to focusing more on seed and offspring. Okay? It moves to more the promise of seed. And this little section here in, verse, or in chapter 16, verse 1, begins with the reminder that Sarai still has no children. All right, you remember this developing story um, you're going to inherit this land. Meanwhile, it's inherited. You're going to inherit this land. Meanwhile, there's famine. I mean, there's all kind of things that are developing where the plot is thickening. The plot is thickening here where you're going to have a bunch of kids. And now we're reminded, oh yeah, Sarai is barren. And in fact, she stays barren for the next um, five chapters. For the next five chapters of the story, she is still barren. And it's not till chapter 21, verse 2, that Sarah bore a son. And it almost seems like the narrator is kind of developing this reminder. He wants us to appreciate the expanse of time. For there's markers in these chapters where he's saying, okay, now, Abram's this old at this point. A little while later, Abram's this old at this point. And now he's this old. And still you can just hear crickets. <laughs> like, where's the baby? This is supposed to happen, and it hadn't happened yet. Five chapters of heartache. Five chapters covering years of barrenness and still no kid. Now, also what you're going to see in this chapter is you're going to see what it looks like to engineer God's will. 
You can see what it looks like to try and fabricate and create God's will or an answer to God's will. You're going to see Sarai and Hagar going head to head. Seriously. Hagar and her son Ishmael, these guys represent the natural seed of human engineering. And then Sarah and Isaac will represent the promised seed of God's divine sovereign will. Okay, there's going to be a contrast there. There's going to be a real emphasis at the end of this study tonight. And actually, the book of Galatians actually has a commentary on that contrast between Sarai and Hagar. And that's where we're going to end tonight. Now, also, before we really climb into it, I want to encourage you to keep the eye Tonight, the football is Abram. Keep your eye on the football. Watch Abram and watch how he operates. Watch what's missing in Abram's life in this chapter. Watch what's out of sorts in their marriage. What's out of whack? And then also notice what Abram is not doing. And we're going to come back around to Abram in the end, and we'll have just yet another picture of God's grace. All right, let's start in verse 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, that's, that would be like somebody saying, Look here. Look here now, Abram, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Okay, Sarai is about how old at this point? Does anybody have an idea? Anybody's watching the, watching the clock? 75, exactly. Very good. She's 75 years old. The narrator reminds us that she is Abram's wife. You're going to see throughout this story, he's going to go, and yeah, Sarah, or Sarai, his wife. Now, this is Sarai, his wife. And here's Hagar, her maidservant, or her um, servant. Or Hagar, you are the servant. You're going to see those references, and those are reminders where the narrator is saying, keep this thing sorted out and appreciate the dynamics that are unfolding here. It seems reasonable to suppose that she's gone through menopause by here. We don't know that for sure. They may have aged a little bit differently. The fact that just a few years earlier, he's concerned about Pharaoh and all these guys want to kill him because she's such a hottie, it's hard to imagine, but they may, she may have aged at a different rate. Um, they may have lived a little bit longer, and that may explain some details there that we may not understand, but it seems like there's a real finality to what she's saying here in verse 2. She turns to Abram and she said, Look here. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. That sounds real past tense. That sounds like, okay, before it was unlikely. Now it's just plain and impossible. So we got to go to plan B. We got to go to my engineered plan B. There's a real note of finality there. So Sarai engineers her own plan. In this, the way she communicates this to Abram seems to indicate that she recognizes that God is the one that gives life or in this case prevents life because she says the Lord has prevented me from bearing children so she gives him the responsibility as the life giver or in her case the life preventer but yet she moves beyond that and she says I'm going to send my Egyptian servant in to you and she will be a surrogate mommy her plan is sort of familiar to another recent plan we've looked at, another recent faithless plan that we've looked at recently. Anybody know what that is? 
another recent plan that we've looked at recently. Anybody know what it is? It's going to be in Genesis. Exactly. Abraham, he doesn't have any food. And he said, we're in the middle of famine. We've got to go to Egypt and get some food. This was, this was um, Sarah's, Sarai's version of the same thing that Abram did in chapter 12. Abram sees no food. We've got to go to Egypt. She sees no baby. We've got to go to Hagar. Okay? Now, where would she have gotten an Egyptian servant? Exactly. And we gotta, you know, if we're watching the football, we know that he went off to Egypt for a while. That was all part of that faithless journey that he stepped away from worship and he stepped outside of God's will and they likely came back with an Egyptian servant from then. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that it seems like the leaven of their faithless trip is still catching up with them. That leaven is leavening more of the loaf. Just the fact that this Egyptian servant is even there would be a product of his previous sin of going to Egypt. Now, what essentially has Sarai done here? Just kind of put it in your own words. Somebody want to attempt it. What does it look like she's doing? Interpreting? Okay. Would you leave it at interpret or would you replace that word with something? Creating maybe. Yeah. Modifying? Adjusting. That's a good word. Yeah. I'm going to take God's will in my own hands. So really whose will is actually at the forefront here? It's her will. Exactly. So in, in essence, Lord is being, the Lord is being moved out of the driver's seat. Move over, Lord. I'm moving into the driver's seat. I'm going to take over is essentially what she's done here. She's booted God out of the position, and she's taking rain into her own hands. And if she has to make a baby with paper mache, she's going to have a baby. I want a baby, and I'm going to make it happen is essentially what she's done what she's doing now what about abram what's abram doing here what are some just initial observations on abram huh yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah he seems to be just following orders doesn't he not yeah maybe that's it non-confrontational just let's let's be easy let's avoid conflict um i almost hear him you know with her orders hey i want you to go into hagar i'm gonna i'm gonna take her and i'm gonna send her into you that him kind of responding with, okay. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. Uh, Sarai, I don't want to. Yeah, well, I think initially he's just saying, I want to avoid conflict. He's following orders from his wife that seems to be, she seems to be, and you see this story develop, she seems to be hacked. You're going to see some emotions come out and some actions come out that Sarai is doing that are going to give us a sense that she's mad, she wants her way, and she'll run over whoever and whatever to get her way. Cody, maybe tone me back just a little bit. I feel like I am having to kind of back off some. Well, how is he leading? He's not. Okay, let's, let's establish that from the forefront. We're going to discuss that a little bit more at the end, but let's recognize that Abram's not leading. The hero of the... Uh, the kung fu fighting with the, the local kings, you know, the faith warrior of a couple chapters earlier, he's not a hero right here. He's not a faith warrior. Okay, let's look at verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. 
It's almost like the narrator is reminding us yet again. Here's the roles. <laughs> Get this right and figure out what's going on here. See the dynamics. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Okay, what word in those two verses gives you yet another picture of Sarai's heart in this whole thing? There's one word that just kind of stuck out to me. Look at it. Huh? Now, look at a word in the passage. Huh? No, look at something that Sarai did. Now, look, she... That is a great answer, apparently. A great question, apparently. I really smithed a great question there. What did, what did Sarah do? Look, look at her. What's she doing? Okay, look at the verb before that. Took her. Come here, Hagar. I'm taking you in there to my husband, and you're going to make a baby. Husband, make a baby. I want a baby right now. I mean, you just there's emotion all over this. Taking her servant and giving her servant to her husband. This is a hacked off woman. I'm just telling you, I can just see it right here. And Abram follows orders. Genesis chapter 30. There's a little story, kind of a picture in chapter 30 where, um, let's just turn there briefly and look at it. Just because I want you to appreciate that while we're looking through, I don't know, 5,000 years of redemptive story, it looks like it's really, really repulsive and hard to imagine. But actually over in Genesis chapter 30, there's the picture that this may have been a little bit more sociable or social norm than we may realize. Okay, Genesis chapter 30, verse 3. This is, um, I'll back up a couple of verses just for the sake of context. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Then she said, here's my servant, Bilhah. Go hen to her so that she may give, you birth, give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel, Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again. And then there's even a servant, Zilpah. So there's like this picture that this may be a little bit more normal than 5,000 years of redemptive story. We're looking at it going, that's just weird. But it may have been a little bit more normal in that context. It's not putting a rubber stamp of approval on this thing. But it's saying that it may just not have been the, the weird, weird dynamic that we're looking at. It may have been a little bit more normal than that. Okay. Now for the fly in the ointment, okay? Hagar goes in to Abram, and uh, Hagar gets pregnant. And uh, the now pregnant Hagar with the baby Sarah wanted ends up looking on Sarah with what? What's the word used there? Contempt. The word in the original language is actually despise. She despised Sarah. Some other things that you can kind of imagine that she may have felt. She may have felt kind of arrogant. I got the power now. Yeah, you wanted this baby. He's your husband, but I'm in the driver's seat now because I carry the baby. She may have felt pride. She may have felt even a little bit of jealousy. I want him to be my husband now, now that I'm carrying his baby. 
But then the original language, the picture is there, is that she despised him. Now, this is going back to our Genesis study as a whole. Does this story look familiar to you at all? Is there anything that we read in Genesis, studied in Genesis, that just kind of, for some reason, this looks a little bit familiar? Anything? Turn to Genesis 3. Yeah, let's, let's look at Genesis 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. Just listen to some of the movement. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did it God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, exactly. Those are the same verbs. Took and gave are the same exact verbs that are used over there in the chapter that we're looking at tonight, chapter 16, of what Sarah did. And you could also consider that maybe Sarah also kind of saw There's not the same exact verb over there in chapter 16 of Sarai seeing, um, but, uh, you know, the same verb used, but there's certainly the same issue because she turns to Abram. She says, behold, look, I still have no kid. Look at this issue, and I'm going to take, and I'm going to give. I'm going to take Hagar, and I'm going to give Hagar to you. Yes, Sam. What version are you reading? Uh, this is three, right? three. What version? Yeah, I think that's kind of to act as a wife. She didn't become a legitimate wife, I don't think. She came to fulfill the bed, sort of. Yeah, she's, yeah, I think it's more wifely sort of role where she's sharing the marriage bed, but I don't think she's officially becoming, like, betrothed or married okay so sarah looks like eve the language is the same she took and gave the same exact verbs that are used over there in chapter 16 for what she's doing with hagar she took hagar and gave hagar to her husband just like eve took the fruit and gave the fruit to her husband okay now what does abram look like who does abram look like in this story adam the only other character there the phrase over here in Chapter 16, verse 2. Let's look back at that. Kind of keep your finger in both sections. I want to show you a little comparison here. The last phrase there in chapter 16, verse 2. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That phrase, that listening to the voice of your wife, is only used in one other place in our whole Bible. And it's over here in chapter 3, verse 17. God is speaking to Adam, and he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. There's a significant connection there. Same narrator, same writer, likely Moses, writing both stories, 
And there's a connection there, this, this unusual phrase that's used in both settings and the similarities when you consider it, that this is kind of a repeat of the fall. And Adam is just another version, or Abram is just another version of Adam. They both act upon suggestions for their wives and are not led by faith in God. Through their lack of leadership, they escort heartache into their homes. Because mama's at the helm. Do you see that? Mama's driving the car. And daddy's saying, okay. Whatever you say, mommy, as long as we don't argue. What happened to the faith hero of Genesis 14 is my question. This dude is like a faith roller coaster. Okay, we're going to talk about that more in the end too. Let's go back to chapter 16, verse 5. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Do you realize who's speaking there? That's Sarai speaking. Now, who engineered the plan? Uh, I think it was Sarai, yeah. Sarai engineered the plan. Do you realize who she's talking to here? She's not talking to Hagar. She's talking to Abram. She's, listen how the thing starts. May the wrong done to me be on you, Abram. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. This is just like the fall account where they start blaming each other. The woman you gave to be with me, God, it's your fault. They start blaming each other, and, this, and they blame God. And that's what's happening right here. She's blaming Abram for this whole thing. Just another picture that she's hacked, and it's his fault. It's your fault, Hagar, has turned on me, Abram. Now fix it, dude. <laughs> and I'm imagining Abram just kind of sitting here going, man, I just got hit by a truck. I was just following orders. All I said was okay. And now I'm in trouble. I'm in the doghouse. I think, keep your finger in Genesis 17, and I'm going to take a risk tonight. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is, I'm taking a risk with ladies, but it's at the, like wives specifically, but it's at the possibility that I may help men, husbands, some. So wives, don't, please, well, I can't keep you from being mad at me, but I'll ask you not to. I'll ask you not to be mad at me, and uh, just in hopes of the insight that this may be for men. Chapter 3, verse 7. This is something we studied recently, actually, in a shepherd's guide. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, women being a, wives being the weaker vessel is not like women aren't tough. I was asking my kids about this when we were studying that on the Shepherd's Guide, and I said, does this mean mommy is less physically tough than me? And they were like, uh... And I said, well, I said, well who can run faster? And they said, mommy. Okay, yeah, that makes the point there. It's not about this physical toughness. I think the point here and what we're seeing in Sarai is that women are more fragile and an understanding man cares for his wife in an understanding way. 
Women are more fragile. Now, I know that there's some tough ladies out there. That is not a condemnation. That's, a beaut- that's one of the beautiful things about women is that they're tender. And women think with their feelings. And men are thinking more logically. And that's why it's a wonderful compliment between man and woman. But I hope that most of us can understand what I'm saying there. It's not a condemnation or criticism. In fact, I'm encouraging men to go, okay, realize that if your wife has spent this period of time and she's going through this sort of thing, she's going to be angry and you need to respond to that in an understanding, gentle way. I'm okay with a few ladies being mad at me if I might have a chance of helping a man understand how to shepherd his wife better. Now back to Genesis chapter 16, verse 6. But Abram said to Sarai, but, it's funny how that started. It's almost like he didn't, he's not going to really minister to her or help her. How the, he's the, remember, he's the faithless Abram in this chapter. Where's the hero gone? And it responds with, but. And this is, but, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, look here. Almost like a reference to, you're the one that called me this thing in the first place. Remember when you started out saying, look. I'm going to respond the same way. Look here, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Probably feeling like he'd gotten hit by a truck, just says, look, this was your deal. She's your servant. If she's mad at you, then you deal with it. And she does. And she's harsh. She's just showing again how hacked she is. She's harsh to Hagar, and Hagar runs away. Okay, chapter 7, or verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. This is Hagar. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. This may be, is likely the same angel that announced a couple of other births. Anybody have any ideas what those were? There's, there's. What, are you answer my question, or are you asking me why I'm at, what I'm asking? I'm not saying that it is. I said may. Not necessarily. There's one angel that has announced births. And in fact, in the New Testament, it was Gabriel. He announced two of them, John the Baptist and Jesus. And that's Gabriel. That's the main thing he does. And in fact, he's referred to as the uh, Angelos Euangelion, the good news angel. I'm announcing good news of a birth. Seems to be what he's doing right here. That's why I'm saying it looks familiar. Looks like a guy that I recognize from the New Testament. So that's the can of worms that I'm opening. That is a fair can of worms. Exactly. That's why I said may. Thanks, Sam. Okay. He calls her by name. He reminds her that she's Sarai's servant. And he tells her her to return and submit to her mistress. Okay. The next verse. Verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. In fact, the language of the announcement is so similar to another announcement that it's just so familiar. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name, not Emmanuel, but Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The angel announces the good news to Hagar, 
And Ishmael will be the boy's name. Anybody know what Ishmael means? Huh? God hears. Yeah, you're reading the notes at the bottom. Yeah, everybody, you can use your notes. God hears. Okay, her offspring, i.e., who else's offspring is her offspring? Abraham's. This is Abraham's offspring. He's the father of many. He's been, God has told him that time and time again. You're going to be the father of many. So he's the father of many descendants. And in this case, he's going to be the father of many non-elect through him or through her and ultimately Ishmael. But he's also the father of the elect. Okay, so this is an important connection here for Abram. And it's an important connection to understanding that in this you can see that God, the fact that maybe Gabriel or some other angel of good news shows up and announces this, the fact that there's divine representation showing up and announcing this, there's the indication that God is sovereign over all life, elect and non-elect. God's not just in on the, 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 the creation and the future of the elect, but he's also in on the creation and the future of the non-elect. It also shows that he listens to the cries of the afflicted. That's good. He listens to the cries even of the non-elect in this case. There's a grace and there's a tenderness in his care even for the non-elect. Okay, look at verse 12. (laughs) Good news mixed with bad news. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. (laughs) Hey, that's great news. His hand will be against everybody and everyone's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So the good news is mixed with kind of a, huh, angel? I'm not sure that that's really good news. I thought you were showing up good, violent good But he says he's going to be a wild donkey of a man, and he's going to be fighting with everybody. What attitude can you imagine when you hear the phrase, wild donkey of a man? <laughs> well, we don't have to get explicit there, but I'm talking character, character. What, what sort of emotions will you imagine seeing out of this guy? character anger okay what willful yeah or stubborn rebellious is a good one man i just i mean you ever heard yeah yeah donkey that's fighting the the reins this is a great picture of ishmael all right this guy is going to be a wild donkey of a man the wild donkey this this was from a commentary that i read that was a pretty good phrase it's a picture of an individualist individualistic lifestyle unaffected by social convention that's a wild donkey right there. An individualistic lifestyle unaffected by social convention. I'm on my own program. I'll be led by no one. So if that's your character, that's not a badge of honor. Yes, a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> There's probably a little bit of that in all of us. But in this case, this is going to be the whole character of this guy. You can sense defiance and rebellion in this dude. And his rebelliousness and his defiance will lead him to conflict or have conflict with everybody. Okay? If you're just swimming in conflict all the time, then it might be, you might be a wild donkey of a man. I, and I'm saying that too, going, huh, I do seem to find conflict. Maybe I'm a wild donkey of a man. I don't know. A little bit insightful. Okay, verse 13. Okay, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lehi Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. 
Okay, she called God El Roy. Anybody know what? Maybe you can read your notes at the bottom of the Bible. What does El Roy mean? God who sees. That's such a great name for God. It also means the God who sees me. It's kind of like a pun. It means both. It's not one or the other. It means the God who sees and all, well, no, it all, I, I, I didn't explain that well. It means the God who sees me, but also the God that I see. Because she saw, or at least she saw deity, or at least some representation of deity. So she's in this statement, by this name, kind of characterizing him as not only seeing me, but one that I'm able to see. It sounds like the, the, rep, the arrogance in her life and in her attitude is kind of gone by the way she's responding to God. That maybe God's gentleness toward her through this angel's care and through this good news has changed her heart and she even names the well where this happened after the name that she gave God Elroy the God who sees okay verse 15 and Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael okay Abram was 86 years old there's another marker when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram, okay? Looks like Hagar returns home, has the baby. Uh, Abram was 86 years old here. Does anybody know how old he was when Isaac was born? 100? Yeah. Okay. So, everybody just do a little math in your head. Who's, who's got it? What's the difference? 14 years. Okay, 14 years. I want you to appreciate why 14 years matters. It's another heartbreak of this whole deal that Sarah's put together. Is that she's got to deal not only with Hagar coming back, eating in front of her, getting more and more, or showing more and more. You're either pregnant or you're not. You can't. Showing more of her pregnancy over time. She's got to deal with those clothes getting bigger. The maternity, she's borrowing maternity clothes from her partner's. She's got to deal with all that. And then she's got to deal with however many years, 12 or 13 years of this little boy growing up in front of her. A daily reminder that she tried to engineer God's will. <laughs> and that it wasn't God's will. And it's obvious, by the way, that the whole thing turned out. It wasn't God's will that that would be the elect people, this promised people through Ishmael. The terrible price of taking God's will into our own hands. Two things that I wanted to capture here in the end. First of all, I wanted to capture the faith roller coasters. I began the study tonight with just the, the encouragement to watch Abram through this chapter. I'm going to ask the same questions again, and let's kind of chime in on those. What's missing in Abram's life in this chapter? Worship. Worship. Those other chapters where, man, he's the hero, he's the faith warrior, what, what does he have near him all the time that he's doing all the time? He's got altars. Hey, everywhere he goes, there's, I'm, I'm going to set up camp and build my altar, and I'm going to be worshiping. And then the chapters where he's outside of God's will, there's no altar there. There's no image of his worship. He's on his own program. And right here, he's void of worship. There's no, or there's at least no markers of worship. Now, what's out of sorts in their marriage? Who's leading? She's leading. She's leading, or maybe nobody's leading. And by default, that makes her the leader if he's not leading. He's quiet. He's passive. Exactly. And he's not leading. He's not doing 
uh, what he's charged to do. Okay, some things to consider about this roller coaster that we see in him and in Sarai. In one chapter, they're faith warriors. In the next ch- next chapter, they're huge disappointments. But one of the things that encouraged me as I consider how Abram turned out and as I look through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11 at Abraham, in the end, they're moved to a place of great and rich and consistent faith. The thing that this did for me is there's a huge encouragement for me because when I find myself a huge disappointment, which I do often, (laughs) I often mishandle things. Most frequently in my home with the people that I love the most. Occasionally in public, I mishandle things. Even very recently, I may mishandle things. And I will often find myself a huge disappointment. Or when I find others a disappointment, which we often disappoint each other, don't we? And in ministry, I'm often disappointed. It, to me, it's the most frustrating. Sometimes the things I feel like the sermon that is about is just personal and ideal for a certain situation in a certain marriage or a certain life, and they're not there. That's this weirdest thing that just happens in ministry. And that's one of the greatest disappointments for me, and it makes me often go to this place. So this was a huge encouragement to me to realize that I can be encouraged that it may just be a snapshot. I might see this couple or this person or this family, or I might see myself in chapter 16. But maybe there's a chapter 17 in store. Or maybe there's a chapter 14 in store where we're going to come around (laughs) and we're going to climb back up to the mountaintop of faith and we're going to walk back in faith again. So it's an encouragement to me and it encourages me when I think about Philippians chapter 6 that God is such an incredible God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That some of these snapshots that we have of Abraham, if we only saw those snapshots, we'd say, dude, that guy's a loser. But then we can know that God is about his work of growing and changing and perfecting and modifying and improving that maybe by the end the video will be a character of faith. That's an encouragement to me. And hopefully it's an encouragement to you. God is graceful to be so patient with us. Okay, turn to Galatians chapter 4, the last thing I want to look at tonight. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. It's on page 974 of your ESV or your pew Bible. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law... Do you not listen to the law? Let me give you a little bit of context here that you understand what's unfolding here. This is an occasional letter. It doesn't mean that you just write to somebody on occasion. It means it's written for a reason and a purpose. Does anybody know, has anybody studied Galatians, kind of get a sense of what's going on in the book of Galatians that can just summarize that in a bullet? Okay. The Judaizers are these group of guys that Paul is kind of going up against. The Judaizers are teaching in the Galatian church that you have to have uh, that you have to have the gospel plus what? Okay, what specifically in the law is coming up often? Circumcision. He's saying you got to you got to have grace plus something. And Paul is saying, no, sir. When you add something to grace, it's no longer grace. When you add works, any works to grace, 
then it's no longer grace. That's why we can stand and live on the place where we can say, hey, it's not, place, it's not faith in Christ and baptism that saves because that's putting baptism in the place of circumcision. It's adding a work. We don't get baptized as new believers, New Testament believers, so we can get saved. It's as a symbol of the fact that we have been saved. That's a big difference. And there's these group of guys in this church in Galatia that are saying you've got to be circumcised to be truly saved. And he's saying, huh, I wish the knife would slip and these jokers would be emasculated. Sound a little strong? That's what Paul said. I didn't make it up. He's serious about this stuff. You add something to grace and we're going to fight essentially what he's saying. And here's what he says. Listen. He's dealing with them and addressing this issue of adding something to the gospel. He says, tell me, you Judaizers who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, Hagar, we met her tonight, and one by a free woman, Sarai. But the son of the slave, which is who? Ishmael. Let's import the story into it. Was born according to the flesh. Who engineered it? Sarai, exactly. While the son of the free woman was born through promise in God's time by God's design. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. So he's going to take this Old Testament story that happened by that 3,000 years earlier or so, and he's going to help them understand the relationship between grace and law through what we're seeing in Sarai and Hagar. So here's what he says. Let's interpret this allegorically. These women are two covenants. Okay? One is from Mount Sinai. What's the name of that covenant? Wait, what's the name of the covenant? Mosaic is named after the, the mediator, right? Okay, that's the Mosaic covenant. One is, the, is from Mount Sinai, the Mosaic covenant. Bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. Okay. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem that is there that Jesus was crucified in, the real physical city, for she's in slavery with her children. What's she in slavery to? The law. Exactly. He's saying Hagar and um, Sarai's kind of fabricating this thing through Hagar is a picture of the law. It's fabricated... Uh, faith and then in verse 26 if 26 he says but the jerusalem above is free is he referring to uh, jerusalem that he referred to earlier when he says above what what jerusalem is he talking about he's talking about the divine he's talking about the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is different he says that the kingdom of god or the the jerusalem above is free And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. That would be Sarai. Rejoice, Sarai. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one, you, Sarai, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. (laughs) This barren woman is going to have more kids than the one who has a husband. This, This covenant of grace is going to have more offspring in the long run than the Mosaic covenant. He's comparing these two covenants. Verse 28 says, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time 
He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. You'll see that too, where Ishmael and Isaac kind of go after it. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let me see if I can capture where this is. I a lot of furrowed brows trying to understand this. This is a picture between sovereign grace and freedom and human effort and slavery. And the human effort and the law is slavery. Sarah was guilty of something that's called synergism. Synergism is when you're trying to kind of partner with God. I'm going to help God out with his will. That's what the Judaizers were doing. I'm going to help God out with kind of throwing some law up in there, some performance. I'm going to add to the cross. I'm going to add to salvation by doing some stuff because it needs some help. Look, behold, I got no baby. So I think I'm going to give this will, this plan that God has some help. She tried to help or assist God with the fulfillment of his will. And that's what we do when we obey the works of the law with the motive of helping salvation. Don't us dare. Huh. Paul will fight you. And we ought to help him. The Judaizers were teaching that this was grace plus circumcision that saved. And that's doing what Sarai did, helping God with what only he can do. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, Nicodemus snuck off to talk to Jesus by night. He said, hey, Jesus, how are you doing all these great tricks? You remember what Jesus said to him? In order to see the kingdom of God, you must be what? Born again. That born again in the original language means reborn from above. That is a passive thing. It even comes from an external resource. You can't born yourself. I know many of us think that we're in complete control, but I will tell you this, at least in your delivery, you are not in control. You were delivered. In In fact, if anything, you fought it kicking and screaming. You had to be dragged out of there. Drag sounds like, kind of like John 6, 44, in order to come to the sun. You must be dragged there. <laughs> this birth, this rebirth is an external, passive thing that happens from outside of us. We cannot create new life through the performance of the law any more than you can make a real baby with paper mache. Hear that? That's something we ought to walk away with when we're seeing old Sarai trying to add to God's design. You cannot create new life through the working of the law any more than you can make a real baby from paper mache. Sarah, listen, I was thinking about this 14 years, 13 or 14 years that she's got to watch Ishmael walk around and eat their food, kick the can, whatever else he did as a little boy. She's got to watch all that and hear his laughter and all that. Her 14 years of watching Ishmael is like the Jews' 1,500 years of watching what? Watching what? The law. The Jews had 1,500 years. According to Galatians, the law is what? A blank that leads us to Christ? A tutor. It's a constant reminder. Just like Sarah had to walk around looking at that 14 years worth of Ishmael, the Jews had that tutor that reveals not only God's standards, but our insufficiencies and failings. Just like Sarah had to walk around looking at Ishmael, Man, I can't do it. I need something outside of myself. I can't create my own son. 
I can't create my own will. I can't create my own future. I need something outside of myself. And this law, this 1,500 years of law, when Christ showed up, primed the pump for the people to see and enjoy and savor and worship Jesus. Like Sarah, I had 14 years of reminder of her failings. We had the continual reminder of the law. We ought to go back to the law often as a reminder that we need Jesus. That's the purpose of the law for us. We won't find life in it. You'll just find death in it. (laughs) You want a constant reminder that we smell like Lazarus four days dead? Go to the law. Be a student of your own stench, and that will send you Christward. And we'll hug Jesus together enjoying God's perfect design. We can go worship God for his sweet grace despite our failings. Then we do everything we can to walk by faith. I'm going to leave you with one verse because this is the coolest picture of the whole thing coming together. John chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. This is going to show you that the followers of Christ that have cast themselves with Christ and are placing their faith in him, faithing him, believing on him, those who to our last breath are persevering and overcoming and walking with Christ, that our daddy is also who? Isaac. (laughs) We're little Isaacs. Produced not by a father's will or Sarai's engineering, but by God's sovereign plan. Listen. He came not to his own, but to his own, or verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not become just some performance of the law, because they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, or Sarai, but of God. Man, that ought to encourage you. Because the more and more I look at the law, man, the more and more I'm educated on grace. I see myself and Sarah trying to con, you know, conjure it up and muster it up. But, man, she had 14 years of Ishmael. We've got as much as we want to engage of the law where we can be thankful that we are reborn from above by the finished work of another. We can't add a work to, to salvation. It's a done deal. Now, we can work and walk in it, but never adding to it. Grace plus something is no longer grace. All right, we're a couple minutes over. Let me pray and dismiss us. Lord, we thank you for our time together tonight. We thank you for these uh, pictures of the gospel that sneak up on us in a surprise chapter. Lord, we pray that we will be um, driven by faith, that we'll learn a lesson that Sarah had to learn the hard way, and that we'll not try and add to your work, but that we will work and walk in it, enjoying the finished work of the cross, and living and walking by faith. Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us to trust you. Uh, Arrest us when we try and fabricate and engineer your will. And teach us just to respond to your perfect will and to seek you always. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.